0: President Biden is expected to speak about the shooting shortly. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
1: Live across Hong Kong, this
0: is Radio 3.
2: Good morning. This is Peter Lewis. It's 8.03 in Hong Kong at the midpoint of the week, Wednesday, the 25th of May. This is Money Talk on Radio 3, and here are today's business and finance headlines. China's State Council has announced 33 new measures to try and boost economic growth and support businesses in the face of coronavirus lockdowns across the country. The plan includes value added tax rebates for more industries, aid to companies that have seen business and orders collapse under the weight of the anti-Covid curbs, along with tools to boost infrastructure investment and improve supply chain disruptions. There are 140 billion yuan, about 21 billion US dollars, in additional tax rebates. Yesterday, UBS and JP Morgan Chase became the latest investment banks to downgrade their forecasts for China's economic growth this year, UBS cut its year-on-year GDP growth forecast to 3% from 4.2% previously, citing the impact of China's zero-COVID policy. Meanwhile, JP Morgan downgraded its 4 year China growth forecast to 3.7% from 4.3% and forecast a deep economic contraction in the second quarter because of the COVID restrictions. Hong Kong reported 216 coronavirus cases on Tuesday, up from 190 the previous day, but still down from the 250 to 350 infections confirmed daily over the past one to two weeks. Chief Executive Carrie Lam said there's unlikely to be any relaxation to Hong Kong's pandemic border control measures before she completes her term at the end of June. And she also said the vaccine pass will stay for the time being. India announced Tuesday that it will restrict sugar exports in another blow to combating surging global food prices. The government will cap sugar exports at 10 million tonnes for the marketing year that runs through September as a precautionary measure to safeguard its own food supplies. India is the world's second biggest sugar exporter after Brazil. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Patrick Bennett from CIBC World Markets, Jack Sear at Credit Suisse and RTHK's international economics correspondent Barry Wood.
0: Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3
2: U.S. stocks slumped on Tuesday, led by the technology sector, after growth warnings from social media group Snap and disappointing economic data fanned concerns that the U.S. economic recovery following the COVID pandemic could be waning. The S&P 500 declined 0.8% to 3,941, taking its losses for 2022 so far to over 17%. The tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite fared even worse, tumbling 2.4% to 11,264, but Nasdaq is down 28% so far this year. The 30 stocks in the Dow Industrials outperformed, rising 48 points or 0.2% to 31,929. Shares of social media company Snap, which depends upon digital advertising, crashed 43% after the CEO, Evan Spiegel, warned that the company will miss revenue and earnings estimates and slow hiring to reduce expenses. He said the macro environment has deteriorated further and faster than we anticipated when we issued our quarterly guidance last month. Shares of Snaps Peers, which are also dependent on online advertising, fell hard. Pinterest tumbled almost 24%. Shares of Facebook Parent Meta dropped 7.6%, while Twitter fell 5.6%. Shares of Google Parent Alphabet fell 5% to a 52-week low. And in total, social media stocks lost $135 billion US dollars in market value on Tuesday. The Pan-European stock 600 Index fell 1.1%, London's FTSE 100 dropped 0.4%. Chinese stocks fell sharply as stock traders weren't impressed by Beijing's latest stimulus measures. By the end of the day, the Hang Seng Index had fallen 358 points or 1.8% to 20,112. The tech index slumped 3.5%. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite tumbled 2.4% to 3,071. About 70% of the members of the MSCI China Index have reported earnings as of Monday, generating 1.4% profit growth on average. And more than half of the 744 constituent companies have missed analysts' consensus forecasts. In the commodities markets, good oil this morning unchanged at $113.80 a barrel. Gold is up to $1,866 an ounce. The US 10 year Treasury bond yield fell 11 basis points to 2.75% in its biggest one day rally in price since late April. And the US dollar index fell for the sixth day in the last eight to its lowest level in a month. The euro is trading at cents. The buck's at 126.9 Japanese yen. Sterling is trading at $1.25 and a half cents and nine Hong Kong dollars and 85 cents. Uh, The Chinese yuan is at 6.66 in offshore markets. Bitcoin had a choppy session and is 1% higher at $29,600 this morning. In Asian stocks the ASX 200 in Australia first of all up about a third of a percent in Japan the Nikkei 225 has fallen 0.2 percent just after the open the Cosby in South Korea up about a quarter of a percent and futures markets pointing to a gain of about 30 points or so for the Hang Seng when trading gets going this morning Times 809 and a half. Let's welcome our guests in the Queensway studio. We have Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer for Greater China at Credit Suisse. Morning, Jack. Good morning, Peter. And on the phone, we have Patrick Bennett, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets. Welcome back, Patrick.
3: Thanks. Good morning, Peter. Good to be back.
2: And over in Washington, D.C., we have, as always, on a Wednesday morning, our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Morning to you, Barry. Good morning to you, Peter. I want to turn to you first. As you know, President Joe Biden's just completed now his first Asian tour uh, since becoming president. That's taken him to South Korea and Japan. Um, What are your thoughts on the visit and on particular uh, the unveiling um, of really his Asia-Pacific strategy, this new 13-nation economic organization called the Indo-Pacific Economic Forum?
4: Well, first of all, it's exceedingly positive that President Biden came to Japan and South Korea. It's about time. And, you know, ever since the collapse of the Trans Pacific Partnership that the Americans initiated back in 2013, the Americans have really left the field to the Chinese. So I think this is a exceedingly positive development but it has to be I think emphasized Peter that the Indo-Pacific economic framework for prosperity is a very modest document it is limited in its scope and it's a start but it is um, waiting to have some flesh on the bones but I think on balance the trip went well I think the president uh, the attention here in the States was his remarks on Taiwan, and defending China, uh, defending Taiwan, but we shall see how this all plays out. The fact is the president has moved slowly to revive any interest in a trade agreement with Asia because there's opposition from both Democrats and Republicans to doing so.
2: Mm. The, the, the IPEF seems more political to me than really any economic or, or trade developments. It's, is it really sort of more um, for the domestic audience back in the US than uh, anything particularly dramatic in terms of trade relations out here?
4: Well, I I certainly agree with you that it's not dramatic, but I think that the target was less the American public than the East Asian public and those countries that uh, were in this conference call by video that uh, Gina Raimondo and Catherine Tai, the United States Trade Representative and Commerce Secretary, hosted from Japan. And the Japanese are obviously interested. But uh, look, there's so much work to be done, and this is merely a skeleton upon which there has to be something built. Let's not forget the TPP, had it gone forward with the original uh, membership of the United States, would have been 500 million people with a GDP of, you know, what, $10 trillion. it's, It's a massive agreement, and now it's in effect but without the United States. The Japanese were very sceptical about it back in 2013-15. Now they've become very enthusiastic. And I thought it was very interesting that the new Japanese prime minister, he made the point that he wants America to come back into the TPP. Hmm. But I'm afraid there's not much prospect of that happening. um, And why
2: why not? Because all the things that are in this IPEF, um, the the very limited um, aims of it, you know, things about... uh, um, Supply chains, clean energy and so on are all in the CPTPP, the, 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 the Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnerships. And why not just join that?
4: Well, I think because the perception in the United States is quite different and among both those parties that i mention and that's um, you know a, a majority in the congress without any question they see it as the deindustrialization of the united states mm. of china dominating and that this trade agreement had it gone through and of course that was the first thing that donald trump killed when he took office in 2017 would further that decline of the united states manufacturing capacity so i think it's it's that perception not what you just said which is accurate but that's not That's not how the Americans are seeing it.
2: Okay, let's bring in Jack and uh, uh, Patrick. Jack, um, do you see the IPEF as being significant?
1: Well, I think um, like what you guys just said, right, um, there's not much detail to, I guess, analyze or or to think that there's any potential economic impacts in the near term. Uh, We remain hopeful. Um, that this could bring some new prosperity to the, to the region. But the fact that uh, China is not part of this, uh, which is the biggest economy in the region, you know, do leave me with a lot of questions around uh, what, what is the end potential upside um, to this pact without China.
2: Mm. It, it seems to me that countries in Asia, what they most of all want to do is want to have it easier to trade with the US. They want to see reductions in tariffs, uh, easier to export to the United States. Uh, but this new agreement, the IPEF, doesn't address any of that at all. It doesn't reduce tariffs in any way whatsoever. So it almost begs the question, what's the point?
1: Let's see. We have to see uh, further signs or announcements or details of the plan to come through. Mm. It's too early to speculate on this. Patrick, what, what do you think?
3: Yeah, look, I think that... One of the encouraging parts of this is you know, we've been talking about the end of globalization for for some time, uh, a move towards you know, regionalization. I, I think this you know, has a potential to enhance that. Uh, I like the comments from Biden earlier this week about the you know, potentially revising the you know the tariffs that have been uh, have been placed on china. he said well this it, it wasn't our administration which which put those in place. Uh, of course they've been inflationary uh, you know to the uh, to the american consumer so i think that that makes sense in that way yeah these things start off as uh perhaps slightly political um uh, look to be very grand uh grand schemes but um you know in my uh you know panglossian way i uh i always think that this is uh you know somewhat encouraging and i agree with uh you know but barry and saying that you know the visit to uh to japan is a you know is a good step forward so i think only uh you know only good can come of it um how slowly that uh, that develops, I think, is, is yet to be seen.
2: Do you think we have too many competing trade blocks now because we've got what well, we've got the cptpp which is the follow-on from the trans-pacific partnership that the u.s withdrew from china has applied to be a member of that there's the reset the regional comprehensive economic partnership which does include china then we've also got the belt and road initiative we've got the digital economy partnership now we've got this uh, the ipef which includes the u.s but not china um a, a lot of <laughs> a, a lot of these agreements seem to be defined about whether china's in them or not don't they are there too many?
3: Well, it, it does seem to be, doesn't it? I mean, look, we had the, you know, we had the WTO, and you know, that, yeah, that, for a long time that was seen the way forward, and it
4: mm. you know,
3: hasn't been. You know, look, exactly. I think it uh, it provides a lot of work for the, uh, you know, for the behind the scenes uh, drafting this and uh, and getting to understand it. Yeah, it's um, you know dancing on the hot rock sometimes, isn't it, uh, when it comes to China having them included, uh, you know, or not. But yeah, it does seem this. Prolif- prolif- proliferation, if you like, uh, you, know, you know, just continues.
2: Barry, is, is one of the aims of this to try and redraw supply chains? Is that what the US wants so that uh, these supply chains are more dependent on other countries like Japan and South Korea and less dependent on China?
4: Yes, absolutely. There's no question about that. and I really do agree with, uh, with what has been said here. Uh, I think uh, Patrick's got it absolutely right. I mean, there's too much of this stuff going on, but the big plus is that the United States is, in its modest way, reengaging with the Asia Pacific. That's got to be positive. But, you know, this business of this new Indo Pacific agreement, it specifically is aimed at making these other countries, not China, of course China's not in it, to be more attractive to manufacturing. So there's no question about it. Here's Apple just making an announcement that they want to have their contract producers explore more production outside of China. Now they can say that's because of what's happening with, you know, the covid lockdown in Shanghai, but the reality is that uh, there's going to be some additional move out of China, and that's what's happening in all of this 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 stuff that's going on.
2: Mm. Jack, is is it possible, do you think, to redraw supply chains in that way, though? Because it's not easy to replace China, is it, with its large population, its educated workforce? um, It's difficult to find that anywhere else in the region.
1: Well, I guess um, with what's happening um, in Russia, Ukraine, uh, people realise, global citizens realise, they need to diversify um, their reliance on any single thing. And which is what the U.S. is doing, what China is doing, and everyone else is doing the same. So, I guess, having, a I guess, Apple 90% reliance on China on a lot of the products, uh, there is some, I guess, risk management that many companies are thinking about, diversification in the supply chain, Mm. and and, uh, we are seeing that across the world.
2: Okay. Patrick, let me turn to to China. Uh, The State Council announced 33 new measures to try and boost economic growth, support businesses, in the face of all these lockdowns, the plan includes uh, VAT rebates for more industries, aid to companies uh, that have seen business and orders collapse, uh, tools to boost infrastructure investment and uh, and improve supply chain disruptions. Is it enough? Are you impressed with what the State Council has uh, has announced?
3: Well, I, I'm, in, I'm impressed that they, uh, they continue down that path of, of trying to provide this support and some, some backstop. But yeah in, in terms of uh tax rebates et cetera you know, tax rebates for companies which aren't able to get production going it doesn't really mean a lot we've got you know, smaller you know, smaller returns and smaller and smaller taxes and then and, and rebates and rebates on that so mm. you know the COVID zero or zero COVID uh, policy uh you know is with us um we're trying to work you know trying to work through that uh that remains is is going to remain a quite a severe headwind on activity for some time despite uh, you know these measures are these measures of support
2: it, it seems doesn't it that the the thing most of all that investors want to see is a removal of this uh, zero covid policy almost anything else doesn't matter yeah. i get the impression that people are taking the view look the, the government can do what it likes but as long as it's got this zero covid in place uh the, the effect is going to be very limited
3: look absolutely I, I think that's that's certainly the way the market is is viewing it and we'll continue. Uh, and we'll continue to view it. Uh, uh, even I just if, want to uh, jump in, able-
2: in here. On, hey, ha- on hang, on one, hang on one second. Mm-hmm. Just let um, Patrick finish his
3: point. Yeah, look, even, even if they're able to get production going, it's still going to be certainly at a, a lower level than what we were at previously.
1: Jack? Yeah, I mean, zero COVID is the headline in the media. The, the real world is lockdowns. Um, you know, the lockdown path is being painted now. It's beginning to unwind lockdowns in Shanghai very gradually. Um, now we have a template on how long the lockdown is going to last for. From Shanghai, 8 to 12 weeks likely. In Shenzhen, 4 to 6 weeks. And that means that for the rest of the cities, once this template is established, um, that any city that will be locked down could be lasting from 4 to 12 weeks, then we have a timeline on when the supply chain can come back online. And with Shenzhen being able to contain the spread of the virus uh, during covid policy right now um supply chain can come back online and then we will likely see the impacts of the stimulus you know people can start the projects with all the money they got borrowed over uh, the special purpose bonds then uh, we could see that economic momentum can start but that obviously big questions on when the lockdowns could really be coming off uh, and, and the timing would likely be july uh from more cities uh, but this is still questioning the markets.
2: And what happens when there's a, a resurgence of cases, which there invariably will be, because that's been the pattern everywhere else in the world, um, or we get new variants come along? Are, they, um, are we going to see all these lockdowns again? Because isn't that the issue? As long as zero, zero COVID is in place, local governments are going to be forced to go through this time and time again until that policy changes.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the way they're managing this now is in in Shenzhen, you have to test yourself every three days. And obviously, if you're tested positive, that little area that you live in will have to be locked down. So it will be more, I guess, the word dynamic zero means um, you you have to be more targeted in the area there's virus and minimize the disruption to supply chain and businesses. Mm. And and that's the hope of containing any spread of the virus to be very have very limited impacts to the economy, and that China can still run its economy.
2: Now, we've seen a lot of investment banks over the last couple of weeks downgrade quite sharply uh, their forecasts for economic growth this year. I've seen some forecasts as low as 2%. I think you've been one of the more bullish um, Mm. firms on China, but where are you at on economic growth? Are you revising down? Uh,
1: Well, we think the probability of further downgrades is definitely there, because we still do not have a best grasp of the timing when the lockdowns will be around. And the second quarter will definitely be a big hit. But what we need to see is uh, the situation in Beijing, uh, which should serve as the ultimate template of what another city should be applying the lockdowns on. As long as Beijing do not implement a full lockdown, then we think the GDP target, um, there's still a chance to be met around a 5.3-5.5%, because there will be major stimulus that we feed through for the rest of the country, uh, and that will boost growth to be above 5.5 in the next two quarters. Mm. But then, if um, the lockdown gets so extended in Beijing, which serves as a template, then it's very difficult that this target can be met. Right, and this is where we are stuck. You know, timing is key right now for for the country to make sure that growth can still be delivered.
2: Patrick, where, where do you stand on on growth in China? Do you think um, the the five and a half percent target the government has is achievable, or is that after everything we've seen now over the last six weeks completely out of reach?
3: Yeah, look, I think that five and a half looks to be a stretch. You know, certainly given how weak the second quarter is going to be, and you know, what happens beyond that is still a little bit uncertain. So, yeah, look, we have sympathy with uh, you know with the lower numbers. You know, something with a four handle to, you know, to us looks to be appropriate. Uh, given what
2: we know at the moment. Barry, this is all coming at a bad time, isn't it? Because we've got three big headlines now which investors are focusing on these lockdowns in China um, and the slowing economic growth there. We've got the Ukraine uh, war and we've got surging um, inflation. Um, th- all three coming together, not great for the global economy.
4: <laughs> I agree. I think it's a, uh, if I were a pessimist, I'd say it's, a, it's an impending disaster. But certainly uh, what uh, Jack has been saying about uh, supply chains and the opening up of China, I mean, this is a huge problem. This is what you saw in the results from Walmart, Amazon, Home Depot. You know, mm-hmm. we're just not getting product. And uh, th- this, is, this is going on. This is a global slowdown. And that's what this massive stock market sell-off is is telling us. That things are going to get worse, and they're going to certainly get worse in the States as well. But uh, I think Europe is number one, and I agree probably Jack has got it right. China can bounce back quickly. But here in the States, uh, it's, it's going to take a while. But, you know, the consumer's healthy, the banks are healthy, or at least so the experts say.
2: And, and it's starting to affect earnings growth, isn't it? We're seeing s- significant companies now in the retail sector, in the social media sector, revise down earnings. It's really the first time since the global f- uh, financial crisis uh, that we've started to look at um, a sustained earnings <laughs> slowdown in the U.S.,
4: well it is true indeed and it's going to get worse. I mean, uh, you know, the consumer has been healthy, but look at the look at the home sales figures that we had today. It's down 16% hmm. month over month in, in terms of new home construction and in sales. This is this is not good news. And you could have added to your three factors, you, know, you could have said, and the tightening of monetary policy that is sending interest rates hmm. up and that's that's global with the notable exception of China and perhaps Japan. Patrick, what what are your thoughts on? Let's
2: start with the US markets. We are seeing now this this slump, aren't we, in in US stocks on on the back of earnings and downgrades. I'm also hearing a lot more these days the talk of um, recession. It seems that um, investors are sort of pulling back uh, slightly from their more aggressive forecasts for, uh, for interest rate rises and thinking more about the possibility of a recession.
3: Yes, that's right. Look on the on the first part there. Earnings growth until recently was okay, uh, and it certainly, earnings growth was well in excess of where interest rates were. And I'm talking about the, about the cash rates uh, at this point, and so in that case we could we could continue to expect equities to do okay. Well, that tide has turned on that now, where growth is where earnings growth has started to slow and interest rates are going up sharply, and I think that the missing ingredient, the the, the missing thing the market was missing was that. The fact of inflation. When you have inflation, the way that you slow that, the way that you slow that inflation, is not simply by raising interest rates. You know that's not the that, that's not the solution. You raise interest rates to slow activity. It's a slower activity which allows inflation to be brought back into control. Mm. And I think that's what now the market is somewhat belatedly getting used to. Uh, so yes, the prospects are of slower growth, higher interest rates, uh, lower uh, company earnings. Uh, All together, uh, plus the, things, the other things we've talked about, uh, just not a very good mix.
2: And presumably the risk is that uh, the Fed could overdo it and, and, and raise interest rates and tip the whole economy into recession.
3: Well, yes, that's the, uh, the tightrope that they're walking at the moment. You know, Trying to engineer a soft landing was a, a bit of a pipe dream. Uh, the message from central banks around the world, and we'll see that again this morning from the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, uh, is that rates are going up sharply and they're going up swiftly. Uh, their job is, you know, their mandate is to, is to stave off inflation, and uh, you know if they have to take, um, they're going to have to take interest rates into restrictive territory uh, sooner rather than later in able to achieve to be able to achieve that.
2: Jack, what are your what are your thoughts? Do you think investors are being over pessimistic? Well, definitely right now. Um,
1: oh. We look at the AAII uh, American Investor Survey. Uh, it's never been more pessimistic. Um, since 2008 I wish to us are uh you know, whilst there's a risk of recession coming, uh, is rising, but it's still not a base case. Uh, the New York recession forecast model for the next 12 months is suggesting there's only 4% probability. Some American banks say it's 30% probability. Uh, so there's 70% chance there won't be a recession coming in the next 12 months. So markets already sold off. Uh, we think there's a rebound coming through soon. And in this rebound, obviously, after two, three months, we have to reassess whether the recession risk is still high. And uh, we think that there is
2: uh, some over-pessimism in the market right now. Is there anything in particular that you would want to see happen to convince you that a bottom is in place? Uh, I want to see
1: stabilization in the rate high expectation, which is actually happening right now. Uh, Market expectation for rate highs is like 200 basis points and then stop. Uh, thereafter, we expect more. And secondly, I want to see that um, consumer sentiment stabilizing in the U.S. Uh, what's happening now with the mortgage rates rising? Uh, house prices or house sales have stalled, as Patrick just said. And we need to see some stabilization that investors become digesting these mortgage rates and house prices to stabilize. And we need to see employment to stay where it is uh, because U.S. employment is still very going very strong. Um, so with Employment staying where it is, rage rising where it is, it's really hard to see a recession in the United States. Um, so I think it could be a high chance more than 50% that uh, there won't be a recession. So U.S. market then can start rising
2: again. Okay. Well, it's good to finish on an optimistic note. Thank you very much for that. That's Jack Su, Chief Investment Officer of Greater China at Credit Suisse. You also heard Patrick Bennett, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets and our international economics correspondent in Washington, D.C., Barry Wood. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Final look at the markets for this week down in Australia. Uh, the ASX 200 is up a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is slipping down about half a percent. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is pretty flat at the open. Looks, looks like a flat open as well uh, for the Hang Seng later on this morning. We'll give you all the latest updates on what the markets do today tomorrow morning on Money Talk at 8 o'clock. Stay tuned for a COVID update after the news with it Gould and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast: mainly cloudy, a few showers, uh, mist patches at first. Maximum temperature is going to be about twenty-seven degrees. A few showers in the next couple of days as well. Hot with sunny periods early next week. Temperature right now is twenty-four degrees, ninety-five percent
0: relative humidity. Day thirty-two. Here's Andy Shrosky with the half-hour news. Thanks, Peter. Police say they've arrested three people after finding what they believe were components that could be used to make explosives in a flat in Wong Tai Sin housing estate. Investigators say the trio are from the same family and were arrested at their home, adding that officers found chemicals, measuring cups, electrical cables, and other devices. Officers also raided a storage space in San Kong rented by one of those arrested, a 31-year-old man. Police say they found up to 15 kilograms of chemicals that could be used to make explosives. Here's Senior Bomb Disposal Officer Alec Bryce McWhorter.
2: At the moment, we are still working to establish the quantity of explosives that could have been manufactured from the chemicals present. However, our initial estimate is that the quantities are significant. We are also working to work out whether... The explosives were to be used in a single improvised explosive device. An IED or homemade bomb are to be used in multiple devices.
0: Turning overseas, the governor of the American state of Texas, Greg Abbott, says a gunman has shot dead 14 pupils and a teacher at a primary school. Mr. Abbott said the suspected attacker was also dead. He is believed to have been killed by law enforcement officers.
2: The shooter was uh, Salvador Romas, an 18-year-old male who resided in Uvalde. Uh, It's believed that he abandoned his vehicle and entered into uh, the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde with a handgun, and he may have also had a rifle.
0: The attack took place on the campus of Robb Elementary School in the city of Uvalde, 135 kilometers west of San Antonio. It's the deadliest such incident since 14 high school students and three adult staff were killed in Florida in 2018. President Biden is expected to speak about the shooting shortly. The Kremlin says Russia is ready for a prolonged conflict in Ukraine as its forces continue to make progress in the east of the country. But the Russian defense minister Sergei Shigou acknowledged that some operations had slowed down, saying this was because of concerns for civilians. Ceasefires and humanitarian corridors are in place to allow residents to leave encircled settlements. Of course, this slows down the pace of the offensive. We will continue the special military operation until all goals are achieved, regardless of the huge Western aid to the Kyiv regime and the unprecedented sanctions pressure. Since being forced out of northern Ukraine, Russia has concentrated its forces in the Donbass. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson is under further pressure over parties held at his official residence during COVID lockdowns. Speaking anonymously, three people who attended some parties told the BBC that regulations were routinely ignored and described arriving for work the morning after a party to find discarded bottles and bins overflowing with rubbish.